This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Life and Death Demonstrations. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that despite all its rage is still just a rat in a cage. I am Gep when I'm joined as always my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we have one of the giant face episodes. Mm-hmm. It's not the good giant face episode. Yeah, yeah, this one is a, I guess it's not terrible, it's not bad i'd say it's sort of mediocre it's yeah. a little spooky i guess but you know I mean, it's disappointing because you know it's it's no nth degree yeah <laughs> which has the best giant floating head in it <laughs> the best giant floating heads this is like a, this is a medium giant floating head mm-hmm. i don't think they knew what they were doing with this story particularly <laughs> but well it, it's one of those episodes where it's like okay we kind of have a B plot that's like only the first five minutes, and then that's done, and then the rest of the episode happens. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's also just sort of random from, yes. from the nature of the thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So this is where Silence has lease, which is the second episode of the second season, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's you know definitely a step up from the previous one. So you know that's least. Yeah, <laughs> I know. At least there's no um, no weird miracle babies. Yes, you know. I, I guess they're yeah. You know, unless you count our giant face friend here, but yeah, know, just baby quite... face McGee over here. Yeah. <laughs> you look so young, Nagilo. <laughs> yeah, which I hate. I hate the way this character looks, and I hate how it's the thing that I have to stare at constantly because I have like Wikipedia pages and things up for reference, <laughs> and that's the only picture that anyone ever uses from this episode because it's the only memorable bit. <laughs> You know, you know, there is uh, other things that happened, barely, but, you know, that's the only thing that's different from any other episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, so. Yep. <laughs> you want a picture of, uh, you know, Data looking concerned? Well, we got those, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, a million of those. <laughs> Baby face McGee staring into the view screen, which also <laughs> makes you wonder, right? So, like, when they're talking to somebody on another ship... One assumes mm-hmm. they have their own view screen, and so yep. they're just staring at each other through technology, through 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 advanced FaceTime cameras. Mm-hmm. But you get one of these things where it's like we are looking out through the ship cameras on the view screen, right? Because it's yep. it's the bridge has a big screen, and there's cameras on the outside that beam in whatever. This is not the weird new era where they have a giant window for some stupid reason. <laughs> this is a screen. But then they encounter space-born entities that are just floating outside, and you can see them on the screen, but then the entity keeps looking around like they can see the bridge. Yes. <laughs> I think in this case, the uh, entity might be being projected directly into their minds or something like that. And so it's doing a thing where it wants itself to look like it's outside the ship but it's not actually there yeah probably yeah because <laughs> uh i guess to a certain degree there's also everyone else on board and a certain number of them are going to be looking out the windows at that particular moment because you know there's 10 forward and there's people just always there uh and uh you know they're going to look out there and it's like hey eh, i've got a giant face 
seems to be looking around and speaking, but I can't hear anything. But did Gillum really, like, put up with that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a point. But maybe a silly one. <laughs> Where are we? Where were we? <laughs> uh, yeah, we were at the person who wrote this thing for some reason. I don't know why he did this. I don't know. I'm in a mood today, apparently. <laughs> it's written by Jack B. Swords, um, who had written on Wrath of Khan, probably the best Star Trek movie. So why? Why did you do this thing? Huh? You don't have an excuse. To, to do something different, I guess? <laughs> than Wrath of Khan? <laughs> yeah. I'll write the best Star Trek movie. And then this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, maybe uh, they, they were they used to be a, a writer for uh, Bonanza, like 17 episodes there. So maybe they just, you know, didn't have enough opportunities for giant faces to show up to talk to people. Yeah, they I bet that's do that. difficult in a Western. Yeah, uh, they also uh, were a crew of uh, the streets of San Francisco and, you know, a whole bunch of episodes there. But, you know, you know it's like, well, uh, can we put a giant head in this episode? Maybe just a, a smiling face in the sky? No? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I will say I have not watched Bonanza. I don't I don't know that much about Westerns overall from that era, but I, I imagine they have very few giant floating faces. Yes. Uh, uh, like even in the, uh, the Western episode of The Prisoner, I don't think there was a giant floating face. There's a lot of other weird stuff going on, but, you know, not that. Um, guest stars, one of whom is this titular giant floating face it's not titular we've just talked about him a lot it sounded fun but if it's titular then his name is silence <laughs> anyway uh earl bone is playing nigilum he's uh probably best known from the terminator franchise he plays dr peter silberman he also does a lot of voice work he's the narrator in world of warcraft which i thought was fun he was also uh, in uh, Psychonauts. Uh, you know, he's done a lot of other voice acting st uh, stuff, like including Clifford the Big Red Dog, mm -hmm. and the Wild Thornberries. Uh, oh, oh, there was another one. Uh, I think it was like uh, G uh, you know, you know, Jesus and his, uh, you know, brothers or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see he was in Psychonauts. Had to look at that. Yeah. Um, you know, but. Uh, you know, he was also in Zork and the animated The Mask and a bunch Oof. of other stuff. Yes. No, not that. <laughs> not that. And, uh, you know, it's going back further into his uh, uh, acting career that he was actually in live action stuff like, you know, the Terminator movies. <laughs> but yeah, a lot, lot of voice acting. Zork the Grand Inquisition. <laughs> he was in as the Borg. Bands. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was in Baldur's Gate as two characters I don't remember. Because I don't play Baldur's Gate much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Played Rex in Story, Story 2, Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue. I'm playing through that now on my PlayStation. <laughs> my, Small uh, world. <laughs> it's my throwback. It's my throwback game. Ooh, Voyager Elite Forces. That's fun. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out who he was in Psychonauts because I'm curious. Where are you, yes. Psychonauts? <laughs> uh, he was also in Buck Rogers in the 25th century for an mm -hmm. episode. Ooh, Fallout Tactics Brotherhood of Steel. Wow. Star Trek Armada. I guess once you're in Star Trek, you're in Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, in Psychonauts, uh, since you are looking, he was Butcher. Yeah, who is Butcher? Wait, that, don't, that doesn't sound familiar. Maybe there's okay, a Butcher. I'm, gonna, I'm finding a, a picture. Psychonauts, Butcher. Images. Oh, one of the bosses. 
Ah. One of the final bosses. In fact, the final boss I didn't get to because screw that last level. <laughs> I've I I've know enough of what's happening. I don't need to finish that horrific jumping puzzle. <laughs> I didn't even get that far, honestly. In the I need meat to go back circus. <laughs> yeah, um, I need to finish it so I can play Psychonauts too. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> one day we will talk. One day we'll have a video game podcast. <laughs> and we have all the games we're catching up on that we missed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds like a thing, doesn't it? Anyway, yes. um, there's another actor in this. <laughs> uh, Colmini? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have much of a part in this one. I don't think anyone transports anywhere. Oh, well, they do. They uh, go over the other ship. Oh, yeah, that's right. To, for mere, mere time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Charles Douglas is playing Ensign Haskell. He appeared in a lot of 70s dramas. Getting Together and Short Eyes. I've never heard of either of those, but, you know, they're there. And uh, guest roles in 80s shows like Family Ties, Falcon Crest, those those sorts of things. Thoughts Landing, uh, something called Fame, I guess. <laughs> I just think he's in, he's notable because he's one of the uh, he's one of the dying breed, as it were, of red shirts mm-hmm. in Star Trek. Yep. <laughs> oh no, a red shirt died. Are, are you surprised? This one was yeah. on the bridge. Oh, dang, that's like serious then. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also in Next Gen, which this yeah. doesn't actually happen that often in Next Generation. The red shirts kind of faded out. Mm-hmm. They put the yeah. main characters in danger more frequently. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if uh, you absolutely need someone to die in next gen, it's going to be a uh, one episode love interest, or you know uh, someone that uh, you know is like the second command of someone, and you know that we're supposed to consider important for this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and someone they introduced for the episode, they get a little important and then die because they want emotional stakes, not just the one dude who dies suddenly who you never saw again. They went, "Oh darn, that dude died." Oh, so this is serious. Though I, I did uh, appreciate what they did in Voyager in the first season, I think it was, uh, where they uh, introduced a character for a few episodes, you know, just sort of, you know, occasionally in the background. And then he gets, uh, you know, uh, abducted by the Vidians and a bunch of other folks. And, you know, the uh, they the Vidian makeup makes it, you know, not entirely clear that the same actor is playing, you know, a Vidian who mm. happens to put on his face at some point. <laughs> It's like, well, the one dude's dead, but he's still living on, I guess. Mm-hmm. I know. That was a pretty good use of background actors. Yes. <laughs> okay. We may as well get on, keep on keeping on. Yeah, I think we've uh, wasted enough time already. So. <laughs> Have we? Have we, though? Do people actually come to this to help listen to us talk about the episode? I don't I'm know. Sure. <laughs> Leave a comment down below to let us know. <laughs> okay. So... Picard is very worried for some reason. <laughs> hmm. Is yeah. somebody in surgery? Ah, it looks like he's pacing around the bridge. He's deeply concerned for Worf and Riker because the they're at the gym. Oh, they're working out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just going around, beating up some dudes, you know. Yeah, they're on the holodeck. They're sneaking around a jungle with an old industrial junk in it. Worf finds a big thumb glove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, just giant thumb dagger. It's kind of awesome because, you know, this is sort of, you know, very much a Star Trek The Next Generation weapon. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. it's very impractical to actually use 
but it's sci-fi so you just kind of roll with it <laughs> yeah it's very stupid looking i don't know what this thing is with what if a glove had giant spiky things on it well, well we did technically have something like that in the previous season but you know the bet the less mm. we remember that episode the better <laughs> uh so as soon as he finds the weapon they're jumped by ninja turtle rejects hmm you know, uh, here we have Skeletor, and uh, here we have the Armadillo Man. Yep. and uh... Knock off Skeletor and a Ninja Turtle. Yes. <laughs> they defeat them. Worf gets all bloodlusty, though, and he stops just before he stabs Riker to death with an axe. Yes. <laughs> Riker has like, uh, chill out, man. Wait, maybe if I use my command abilities. This... Oh, hey, it actually worked. I'm a D&D character. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but in that weird, uh, what was that, uh, fourth edition, when when you had to, everyone had superpowers so that it worked <laughs> with the magic system. Yes. <laughs> I play command like it's a spell. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, nerd, we've, we're nerdy enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope you uh, are too. This is uh, this is one of Worf's like lighter workouts <laughs> because guests aren't allowed in the other ones. I think it's interesting though that like. This is surprising to people. It's like, oh my god, this is how people how Klingons work out. It's like, wouldn't you give an access yeah. to a holodeck? Yeah. Wouldn't this be a way more interesting and fun way to do calisthenics than going to the gym, being on a treadmill? <laughs> you know, because uh, I guess the, uh, the the hardest I have ever worked out that also didn't involve uh, uh, hiking at uh, you know ten thousand feet above sea level. Uh, was the uh, one time I played uh, uh, ultimate dodgeball for about three hours straight, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the next three weeks my body was just going ow ow ow. Yeah, <laughs> because you know you get in the mode and you're just like I'm just yeah, gonna keep just doing going. the thing. Yeah, it's fun. I did I did um, I did fire training in Arizona, and we just ran obstacle courses over and over and over. And it was uh it was great fun like you you definitely know you're doing a workout because it's an obstacle course but it's still yes. way more interesting than just doing push-ups and whatever gym things make it fun make exercise yeah. enjoyable <laughs> damn it you know you change it up so you're like having to think as well as move yeah let me fight a skeletor mm-hmm. now i want to fight skeletor so back on the bridge the data's found a hole hmm. uh, oh like like that a space thing hole not just like yeah you know, there's a hole in the carpet here yeah so there's a hole here huh. <laughs> also outside there's a large area of blackness which is distinct from the rest of space to uh quote holly think about spaces it's black <laughs> and you know to to paraphrase then you know the thing about this thing is it's black <laughs> but it also is nothing it doesn't have any matter doesn't have any energy they can see the you know edges of it because nothing's getting through. It's kind of like a black hole, so mm-hmm. it's something, but nothing is actually there. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's like a cold spot in the cosmic microwave background, where uh, our universe is run up against a smaller, less uh, robust universe, and it just sort of road bumped it or speed bumped it there, and so now there's a, a portion of our cosmos that is now uh, you know a. a a a dead zone because you know the uh, you know, all of our reality all our particles all our energy were incompatible with this other universe we kind of ran over uh and it's being expressed in this localized area and anything that enters it just kind of you know engages in a, a weird dance of 
laws of physics don't quite work the same anymore, so we're just going to kind of disperse. Yeah, I'm sure that makes sense. So uh, 10 points to anyone who knows what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Wesley goes, if it's a hole in space, shouldn't we be able to see what's on the other side? Like an ordinary space hole? Yes. <laughs> like, you know, this is like a wormhole. You should be able to see, like, wherever it leads to, you know? I just love this, like, this explanation. It's like, wait, this doesn't seem to be acting like all those other holes in space. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if it's a, uh, a wormhole that connects somewhere else in time, not just space, could connect to the very, very far future where uh the we've been uh, fully embraced the heat death of the universe in which case the uh, whatever you would be seeing there is you know such a low temperature that's undetectable by the ship's sensors mm. so they send a probe into the thing it disappears as soon as it gets to the hole Worf goes oh there's klingon stories of a black space creature that devours entire vessels mm. uh wesley points out that they can use where the probes disappeared to map the edges of the hole so they can move in closer uh, but then as soon as they do, the hole leaps out at them, and suddenly they're inside. Oh, great. We approach the thing, we're about to po poke it with a pointy stick, and then it eats us. So, they can't see out of the hole. They have no point of reference. They can't tell if they're moving. The engines are on, but with nothing to, you know, measure against, they may as well be standing still. Yeah. Um, Pulaski comes to the bridge, so she can also be a main character. <laughs> and she gets to meet mean to Data for a little while, for no reason. Yeah, you know, you know he... It does know how to scan things, right? And it do basic things with the computer screen. And I'm just going to ask in the most obtuse way possible. Also, because I'm here, yeah, yeah. I exist. <laughs> so they said reverse course, but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, etc. Jordy comes to the bridge. So now every the whole gang's here. Basically, mm -hmm. everyone gets to be on the bridge. We don't yes. have to use a second set. Well, we did for a little bit, but, you know, we kind of abandoned that. <laughs> Data suggests dropping a stationary probe so they can have a point of reference for the moving. They move away from the beacon until they're moving towards the beacon. Hmm. Obviously, we're in a uh, cl uh, small, old, clo uh, closed universe because, uh, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, circle back around by going a straight line it might even be toroidal in shape uh you know aka a universal donut <laughs> yeah the donut universe yes. space time <laughs> is a donut or a bagel yes a bagel everything, with everything bagel. on it <laughs> anyway <laughs> so they suddenly detect a ship it's a romulan warbird that attacks immediately <laughs> um but it's destroyed in one shot oh well that was convenient yeah. to okay. Mm -hmm. very convenient guess, yeah uh, do they not have their shields up despite attacking and yeah they just malfunctioned what... after the cloaking thing you know how that how that do oh well, uh, usually the romulans are more on top of things than this but hooray we win let's check out the debris then a federation ship suddenly appears the mm -hmm. yamato is there it's the enterprise's sister ship so they only have to use one model uh, it's uh, fully powered and operational but there's no life signs well that's suspicious uh, do they get ab abducted by the space-time void as well or the Romulans. Or the Romulans. <gasps> Maybe that's what happened to the Romulans. It was actually the crew of the Yamato took over their ship, and they'd gone, uh, you know, uh, insane, and were like, we'll just shoot everything, and never mind turning our shields on. This totally makes sense, right? That does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just space, space zombies. Yes. <laughs> and so, they're not uh, even taking Trallium D. D. Mm. So Riker requests to go over to find out what's going on. He and Worf beam over to the other ship. Um, 
They mean to go to the bridge, but they materialize alone in random hallways. Uh, Riker hears Worf screaming, then sees him running towards him because Worf heard Riker screaming. If neither of you were screaming, maybe we're not alone on this ghost, ghost ship of the damned. Yeah, it is a very ghost ship. It is cool to see the thing all empty. It's very creepy. Yes. <laughs> I do like it. <laughs> and all the uh, usual lights are dimmed or off and nothing's working and it's just mood lighting. <laughs> so they get to the very empty bridge. And they go to the other door to find another bridge, etc. Well, well, apparently uh, that you know, uh, you know, uh, small closed universe is closing in even faster than I was anticipating here. Um, yeah, you might be uh, about to be crushed, uh, guys. Uh, be careful yeah, about that. Probably. I mean, that's a fourth season episode, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember me in that one? <laughs> So on the Enterprise, they detect a way out, but they can't get a transporter lock on the away team, so Picard doesn't go for it. Uh, Riker and Worf find that there's really only one bridge, because if they leave through one door, they come in the other door on the other side. Which drives Worf a little bit crazy, kind of. Doesn't like it. <laughs> now, the, the fun thing would be for Riker then to, you know, go through one door and then go and, you know, and like hang out, hang out with Worf in the, uh, in the duplicate bridge there. And then when they get beamed back to the Enterprise, Riker looks over to Worf and goes, is it the real me, though? <laughs> <laughs> so the transporter locks suddenly back. Yamato starts to fade away. Picard gets them to beam back just in time before the Yamato just sort of fades out of existence. As it does, yeah. And it's like a defiant situation. <laughs> Alternatively, it's a TARDIS. Didn't make the noise, though. <laughs> well, that's because they don't have the parking brake on. Riker's had enough of this. He's getting a bit agitated by what the hell is happening. Uh, they detect another way out, but when they move towards it, closes. Then they do that again. And again. Uh, Picard's tired of this and just starts holding still when things pop up. Troy goes, hey, there's something behind this. There's kind of a large, vast intelligence I'm detecting out there somewhere. As opposed to a, a powerful one like Q, it's this one's just really big. Yeah. It's not powerful. I mean, it is. But it's also huge. Uh, Pulaski thinks they're being treated like rats in a maze with this weird stuff happening. Um, also odd they still do that. That's still culturally relevant enough for them. <laughs> well, maybe there was a recent like uh, movie or holiday program that everyone was really into where there was mm. a, you know... Wait, maybe... Maybe they were uh, uh, taking into the remake of uh, Dark City. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as Pulaski goes, hey, it seems like we're in a research situation, like rats, a face appears and goes, hey, I'm Nagilam. Uh, I'm curious about you. What is what's going on? Yeah. Data's different. Pulaski's different. She's a woman. And that's somehow just as different as being a robot, but yeah. also somehow less different than being an alien. I don't like why is this notable like oh this is a woman there's two aliens on board the bridge you you commented on the robot like yes. Worf <laughs> has similar enough anatomy to every other man there that you don't go like oh what's going on here no it's a woman so uh, I'm gonna manhandle uh, uh, Pulaski with my mind power telekinesis stuff here while Troy's just kind of you know I'm just gonna yeah. be quiet over here that one's also odd like what are they trying to say about Troy here maybe she's in a blind spot for Nagilam, because, uh, you know, she recently had a space baby. Or it's because of the beta the Betazoid thing. Apparently, he doesn't think the aliens are notable. Yes. So. 
Well, maybe uh, he's encountered uh, Betazoids and Klingons before. And they're like of little interest now. But these humans I mean, the, are the thing that we don't know, that no one tells you about Betazoids is their chromosomes are reversed like birds. <laughs> so uh, Nagilam's here to learn. He wants to learn about them. Like, it's weird that humans can die, you know, like this. And Haskell is sitting at the con, suddenly keels over dead. Well, uh, I guess we're not going to have the, the, the Haskell spinoff show then. Dang. Nagilam uh, thinks this was fun. He wants to see more ways of dying. Probably, like, you know, about half the crew. Don't worry about it. You know, Nagilam, uh, we have, like, a computer on our spaceship. We can, like, just let you download a copy of all the stuff about, you know death that'd be no fun yeah. <laughs> i have to torture and kill everyone myself jeepers guys so the crew have a meeting they want to fight they can't figure out if they even can because this thing is just sort of the, its own little universe out there mm -hmm. uh so really there's nothing they can particularly do about it except picard goes well we can blow up the ship like go out on our own terms instead of sitting around waiting to see if you're half the crew that dies horribly indeed well, uh, I guess this, uh, you know, would be a quick death at least. You know, you're not going to, like, die like Haskell did, which looked like it was really painful, actually. Mm -hmm. So he sets himself to struck for 20 minutes, give everyone some time to prepare. Um, almost 20 minutes later, Troy and Data show up at Card's quarters to go, no, this is wrong. Don't have people die. It's way better to do this. And Data goes like, yeah, what's death even? After all, uh... They go over a couple of vague ideas about afterlives and whatever, and Troy goes, you shouldn't you shouldn't take away people's chance of living. And then Picard goes like, wait a minute, you two wouldn't act like this. <laughs> like, Troy, you know, you would... Well, first off, you probably wouldn't question the captain's sort of prerogative on this particular point. And Data, you... You're... Ethical Suddenly on first name you know. basis, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> We'd probably be okay with this as an alternative to, you know, painful torture and death. They uh, go, well, fine. Yeah, it's Nagilam trying to trick you. They vanish. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the Enterprise is back in normal space. Oh. Guard's dubious. He's like, this could be a trick. This could be another trick. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, like you can't keep doing that. So with 10 seconds left, he turns to self-destruct off. Riker in enthusiastically concurs with this. <laughs> it's like a uh, simple yes could have sufficed, but you know, Riker's just like, I just wanted to be sure, you know? Yeah. Because we were like two seconds I mean, left. <laughs> I love the Riker thing, because, you know, the, the computer goes like, second officer, do you concur? Yes, wholeheartedly, my God. <laughs> so, seems like they're probably back in the clear. Picard returns to his ready room where Nagleelum appears on the screen wants to share what he's learned humans are rash and selfish and aggressive they don't have anything in common so just get out of here Picard yeah. <laughs> goes no we're both curious and he goes, you oh. know what yeah we are both curious and inhumane to lab animals so you know that we got that in common so let's uh go torture some uh some some possums or something like that yeah uh, Nagilam disappears, Picard goes back to the bridge, and they get back to whatever it was they were doing before. Which was uh, charting a part of space that the Federation had never quite contacted before, apparently. Yeah. And, yeah, that was uh, where silence has lease. There we and go. We yeah. And we never encountered Nagilam ever again. Nope. <laughs> so what do we think? Silence, lease, baby face, Nagi. 
Yeah, I, as I said, you know, it's not <laughs> terrible. I wouldn't even say it's bad, but it's kind of, eh, it's just sort of there, I suppose. Mm. Uh, maybe a couple things kind of, you know, of, uh, interesting sort of, you know, interactions with, you know, various characters here, but, uh, you know, not a super impressive episode, I guess. <laughs> and plus that first few minutes, you know, uh, you know, it was just sort of establishing, all right, Klingons can be aggressive and like to fight. Okay. Yeah. Um, does this have anything to do with the rest of the episode? Maybe when Worf gets frustrated with having two bridges on the Yamato, maybe. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't like decide to start taking it out on Riker and beating him up or something like that. It just sort of, he gets to, you know, yelling and uh, screaming and like, oh, there's one bridge, but there's two. Oh, gosh. <laughs> just a little silly. Especially since, you know, Worf is, you know, big warrior guy here, but he's also kind of a geek when you think about it. Because he's always mm -hmm. like, you know, doing analyses on things, uh, especially the TNG era. Uh, you know, he's like, you know, when Tasha died, he's like, I'm going to be responsible and not go down and try to punch this thing uh, in the face. Uh, instead, I'm going to use science in order to solve the problem and, you know, gets everyone out in the end. I think the my main problem with this episode is that it's just sort of not really saying anything, even though it's put itself in a lot of places where it could. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like it wants to, but it just doesn't then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're uh, you know, we're trapped in a uh, an experimental uh, enclosure. All right, are we going to have much to talk about in terms of you know, say the ethics of experimenting on uh, you know other life forms? Not really. Just that it sucks to be you know experimented upon person. Yeah, hmm. like are we are we going to talk about the ethics of experimentation, the the need for experimentation? Whether or not it's ethical to do this because there's no other way to learn certain things, or if it's never worth crossing that line, whether or not this, like, how much this goes back to old ways of doing behavioral experimentation and, and research, and how a lot of that was in such weird situations that it probably didn't really teach us anything. Indeed. And it's it's a bad way to do behavioral research. So, like, you could argue that he's not actually going to learn anything about humanity, and that could be an interesting way to take this. Yeah, that could have been a, a way to try to get Nagilim to be, a, you know, sort of off kilter, at least, you know, at some point, so that the, uh, you know, self-destruct plan would actually kind of, you know, make sense to work. Yeah. As opposed to, well, we're going to just explode if Nagilim doesn't let us out, and I guess we just have to hope he does. All right. Well, we're uh, trusting uh, our fate on a, uh, a life form that seems to claim it likes to kill for fun. So, you know. <laughs> or are we going to, like, go go down the route of actually spending some time with the crew in this 20-minute window where they're trapped and have nothing to do and know they're all going to die and look at how the different ways people contemplate death, maybe how it's changed and the future or how it stayed mm -hmm. the same yeah we could take that part of the episode and make it like a real-time sort of experience uh where you know we get the setup done for the first half hour and then the last 20 minutes of the episode is various crew members that we know and maybe a few that we don't 
you know, figuring out what they're going to do to spend the last 20 minutes of their lives. You know, are they going to have a, a conversation about the afterlife or the lack thereof or whatever else they believe? Or are they going to do some, you know, some ceremonies? Are they going to try to have fun? It's like, I'm going to go to 10 to get drunk real quick. Um, you know, what is everyone doing when, when they're sort of faced with this situation? Yeah. But mm-hmm. we don't. <laughs> but no. No. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, well, I guess we figured out what Picard does. He's like, I'm going to go hang out in my quarters and listen to some music and wait for people to show up and uh, to try to trick me. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Just, that's that's the whole thing. Is just We we basically cut from, yeah, we've uh, decided that we're going to basically all commit suicide rather than let people have this horrible thing you could even discuss that he just went like which is better and they immediately go with well that which i personally agree with but uh you could talk about it mm-hmm. you know you could go like yeah uh maybe it's is better to do that maybe you don't even want to survive this situation right would yeah, would think yeah. about that do you want to be one of the people who survives watching half of your friends and crew members die horribly yeah, that sounds like it would suck, actually. You know, not only you know basic survivor's guilt, but you uh, also experienced a uh, you know a lot of you know the suffering you know sort of secondhand here as everyone's you know grasping at their faces and screaming in horrible pain or potentially much worse. Oh, uh, you know, I walked down the hall and uh, you know suddenly uh, you know crew and so who so and so was uh, there and they just started melting right in front of me and they. Uh, you know, well, they were begging for my help, but uh, anytime I tried to get, you know, close, I would get zapped or something like that. And so, you know, I just had to watch on helplessly. That that was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that could be awful. So, yeah, you know, you know, could be could be pretty good. Could be pretty good to not have to live through that. But you could you could talk about that a little bit, maybe just mm-hmm. a little, you know, no, no, yeah. <laughs> not worth having like, a yeah, contemplation this- of death and mortality. You have you have a ten second scene with fake data, where he goes, "What is it to die?" And he goes, "Well, some people believe there's an afterlife." Oh, well, okay, cool. That's something the audience already knows. Great, but, yeah, uh, good, good yeah. job. <laughs> and you know, I, I do kind of like the Picard sort of like it's like, well, I think you know, if there is something that's something that is grander than we can conceive of in our limited understanding as you know beings within the universe here, so you know, so he's. You know, kind of like, oh, I can kind of hope that there's something cool going on. Yeah. But we could like, think about it, you know, like yeah. how we're basically fighting with God right now. Yeah. <laughs> As we speak. I just wish it was an arm wrestling contest. At least I could lose with dignity. <laughs> but uh, I guess in the uh, alternative episode where they, you know, do sort of spend you know time hanging out with everyone as they're sort of contemplating death. Uh, it might be also a little bit of uh, a fun opportunity to have various, you know, you know, uh, duplicates of various crew members kind of hanging out and listening in on these conversations. Then they're actually Nagilim in disguise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, we have like three different Troys in different parts of the ship right now. And they're all just kind of quietly watching and adding, you know, their own commentary to sort of more push the conversation along as opposed to, you know trying to lead the uh, mm. discussion uh and so the, you know that could be something kind of interesting to play with in terms of plots but you know that's not the episode we got well, that would be us. a really really interesting thing to do if you you spend you don't have to do it real time but spend 
at least 15 minutes of the episode with various discussions from various cultural viewpoints about death. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure Worf has some views on not being able to fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, all I'm that sure stuff. Klingons, you know, <laughs> Klingons do have, you know, sort of, uh, you know, you know, if you are unable to get a warrior's death, there's ways to die honorably as you know via suicide mm-hmm. but most of those are, have been established yet yeah so. i mean he could even have that of the what like think about the weird implications of that right mm-hmm. having to die in a specific way for your honor-based fighting culture like Worf wants to do you yeah. probably have to do some sort of ritualistic suicide something in order to uh in order to pull that off so does that mean you have to like commit suicide yourself right before everyone else does there's Maybe. some weird stuff there <laughs> yeah I, I you know there might be a uh, it's like i'm gonna go do this but you know maybe uh you can have a moment where it's like well i actually need you at your post well why we're all going to mm-hmm. die just in case yeah you could have that. Is every, why is everyone still doing their? Everyone's still, you know, in position when they need to do something, which works out well. But you could talk about that. But it would be also mm-hmm. interesting, like you were saying, you you have all these discussions going on, and in the background, there's all there's just a background character always there, and if you're paying attention, it's always the same dude. Mm-hmm. And then that was the entire point, because obviously that does seem to be the thing. Like it's just. Oh, I just wanted to see what she would do about me putting you in a life-threatening situation. Not actually kill all of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, you know, just it's one. It's 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 one of the things we you know talked about a lot with you know the original series that there's so much good that could be done with this premise here that is just sort of ignored or forgotten or bypassed entirely. Mm. Uh, and you know, some of it is obvious. Like, all right, well, we need to have an action quotient. At the beginning, so we'll just have that weird scene at the beginning of the episode, and that'll kill a few minutes. All right, well, you can still do other things and still have your action you know, scene there. Uh, you know, heck, I'd even argue that uh, the uh, exploring of the Yamato is kind of you know a more interesting action scene there. Uh, you know, if you wanted to have a, a fight in there, have a fight in there. It's like, oh yeah, and uh, you know, uh, suddenly Worf is attacking Riker. And Riker, you know, uh, you know, wins the fight, or even Worf wins the fight, and whoever went down with their neck broken suddenly is like, "What are you doing?" From behind them, and then they look down at the body, and it's not there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, could be really interesting. It's, like that whole exactly. that whole exploring the Yamato thing wasn't very wasn't very interesting, was it? They didn't yeah. do much. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like okay, there's some weirdness going on here. This is you know a fake ship, as we can uh, detect the materials in the uh, bulkhead here. It's close, but it's like also not the same. So you know, yeah, it could slowly discover different things. You, you, that whole mm-hmm. go, like that whole bridge thing is interesting, but it's just a cool visual effect. Yes, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not exactly disappointed in this episode. Just it feels like putting your like. An episode that puts itself in all these positions to be like, oh, this could be interesting, this could be interesting, this could be interesting. 
and then they don't do anything. It just sort of, it just sort of leads to the whole thing being sort of lackluster overall. And then it leads us, mm -hmm. who have put ourselves in this weird position of trying to talk about stuff. I mean, we have to make up a bunch of things that could have happened in order to say anything interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So uh, I guess if we're trying to find things that are not just talking about alternatives to the episode, uh, we could talk about the uh, ethics of animal experimentation. Yeah, that one's very complicated. <laughs> yes, um, and uh, you know, and, and you know, from there we could even uh, bounce over to you know human experimentation uh, and uh, you know the pros and cons to all of this. <laughs> um, but from this episode, though, I, I'm not really married actually <laughs> to being in the full discussion there, honestly, because they don't bother. I feel like there's other ones that actually handle that, that actually talk about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, uh, I guess to uh, you know, I could then bounce from there. So, okay, so if we don't focus on that, maybe maybe uh, you know escaping the maze is what we should talk about. <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, is it possible to do it from within, or uh, you know, is outside help always necessary? And yeah, that's sort of a you know interesting conundrum. But uh, you know, in, in, if the outside help is uh, necessary, that can then lead to discussions about uh you know uh you know animal rights activism uh you know and you know you know various groups related to that uh and all sorts of other sort of uh, me uh meandering stuff but once again i'm facing this episode it's like it's not focusing on anything so how can i focus uh, on anything? the only thing that they really got to was at a certain point they go the only thing to do with someone who's not operating on the same field as you is to not play mm-hmm the only winning move is not to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we could do uh, we could do war games. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is technically sci-fi because you know we got an advanced AI in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's basically Twitch plays thermonuclear war. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> huh, maybe if they do a proper remake of it, uh, that's what they should be uh, going for. Uh, you know, it's not a sentient computer, but it's a Twitch. Twitch stream that has now uh, been uh, hooked up to a defense com uh, computer that, you know, at first, you know, it's just running simulations, but then mm. someone trips over something and suddenly it's feeding live data. <laughs> yeah, and then what? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you could have an interesting discussion there. Then, like, you try to wrest control. People have to have debates about, like, oh, someone's trying to start nuclear war for fun and everyone else is trying not to. And then there's a whole discussion about how terrible people are being on the Internet. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, uh, is it going to be the uh, triumph of, uh, you know, human, uh, you know, you know, goodness or human depravity <laughs> that's going to win out in the end here? Yeah. Are trolls um, willing to start a nuclear war? Almost, almost certainly that. <laughs> Yes, uh, you know. Never mind that they'll, you know, probably die pretty quickly in the whole uh, you know, series of events themselves. But you know, I know. Do you think people who do that sort of thing have a lot to live for? Mm, true. Uh, you know, well, some of them might like be just really bored and actually have a lot of money and you know support in their life, and otherwise just you know be living the good life. But they're not creative enough to really kind of know how to do anything with that so they just troll people online mm. instead <laughs> hmm. but uh then trolling gets back right back to the gilam again because that's kind of what he's doing yeah <laughs> and so we've gone full circle <laughs> this this isn't as much of a thing anymore but remember a few years back people kept doing like st 
stupid, offensive, borderline dangerous things. And then when they got called out for it, they'd go, I was just doing a social experiment. Oh, you weren't. You're being a dick. Yeah, I feel like that's what's happening. This is just like, oh, I tried to destroy your ship and I killed someone. I was just doing a social experiment. Hmm. I wanted to see how people would react, you know? Yeah, it was just you know, like poking you the right way. It's and, a completely you know, normal thing that die. normal people would do. And it's, for some yeah. reason, it's also acceptable that some random per- asshole would be doing this. <laughs> I'm reminded of that, uh, that, that Mythbusters quote. The difference between science and messing around is writing down your results. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, if you're doing a social experiment, uh, where's your control group, first off? And second off... <laughs> Uh, where's your uh, data collection method here? Uh, like any sort of data collection, you know, at all would be nice to, you know, show. And, you know, oh, you don't got any? Well, then I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> ha. Which, which actually is something that people need to do more. In yeah, I know. Of, uh, oh, you were running an yeah. experiment. Where's your data? Show me your statistical analysis. <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, modifier are you using to to work out your statistical outliers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which kind of statistical analysis model are you using to show your results? Where is my cat and whisker graph? <laughs> I want to know the standard deviation of your results. So get to it. Chop, chop. <laughs> Like, if you are not doing math, it's not science. Well, I generally agree with that. (laughs) Sometimes the math is really easy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very hard. You know, it's just, you know, know, but uh, even just counting a collection of yeses and nos Mm -hmm. means you're adding, and that counts as math. Well, I've been to some (laughs) things that are, like, uh, full-on biology, like bird science and things, and Mm -hmm. they they show these... uh, these analyses like oh we sat around and watched the birds build nests for ages like okay that's fun that's an observational research for behavior in biology that's neat here's our graph on the 15 different links of sticks they used it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's like within um, a standard deviation of three to four percent with this uh, using this statistical observation model and <laughs> Well, I guess the the birds really do know what they want when it comes to uh, sticks to use, mm-hmm. huh? <laughs> or maybe there's birds that don't. Yeah, like mm. pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put this together and this the other thing. That's a, near that's the first a joke thing, for the bird people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've I've seen some uh, pigeon quote nests. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like there's an egg here and there's some random garbage nearby. <laughs> Is this supposed to be something? <laughs> Pigeons are weird. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, feel like we strayed a little bit. But, you know, maybe it's a nest. A maybe it's a Nagulum nest, and they just got in there. It's like, oh, I'll fuck around with these guys for a minute. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, when it comes to animal experimentations and things like that, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, activist groups uh, uh, against that sort of thing. I guess I can, uh, you know, quickly tell a brief story from my time in college. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not something I witnessed myself, but uh, the uh, next to the physics building uh, where I went to undergrad was uh, one of the biology buildings and happened to be one of the ones that, uh, you know, had some, you know, animal-based sort of experimentation sort of stuff going on. Uh, I don't remember if it was, like, supposed to be more, uh, you know, you know, 
I guess, uh, you know, chemical, you know, biological sort of focused or like behavioral sort of uh, things, because the articles and talking about it after the fact weren't exactly clear. Because uh, the uh, there's there's a reason uh, you know, the uh, the particular table uh, uh, paper there is uh, sometimes called the Daily Idiot because uh, they sometimes leave out very important massive chunks of the story. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, so uh, so at one point uh, I, during my time there, uh, some uh, folks broke into the, uh, the uh, biology building there and liberated a collection of animals. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, and uh, the uh, the animals you know were extracted from the building, and it's not entirely clear what happened to them after that. They might have just been let go, maybe, uh, or they maybe they're taken off somewhere. No one really knows, uh, at least as far as you know the general public goes. Um, but uh, the you know the I guess the main thing the article did talk about was you know assurance that you know nothing dangerous was released, so you know. We're not going to have a plague, so that's good. Um, but uh, at the same time, there is, you know, still concern that, you know, this kind of thing, you know, happens on campus, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and uh, we're going to have, you know, improved security, you know, all that sort of stuff there. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, this kind of, you know, if I had been like going home from work super late one night, I might have like seen something like that, <laughs> uh, about, you know, going on there. Because, uh, you know, sometimes I did go into the office late, uh, for my uh, campus job there. But um, on the other hand, the uh, particulars of my job, I had managed to rework how I did things so an enti- I could get an entire day's work done in about five minutes. So, <laughs> uh, you know, my uh, chances of actually being there to uh, witness people trying to break in or exit the building was probably actually pretty low. Um, but it did sort of lead to a campus-wide sort of discussion about, you know, animal experimentation, uh, you know, around campus um, for, you know, at least a few weeks there. Um, but then it kind of just fell out of favor in terms of discussion. And I suspect the folks behind the uh, the break-in and all that might have been disappointed by that. That, yeah, they got some <laughs> discussion happening, but it didn't really go anywhere. Hmm. So, uh, I guess, uh, you know, I am, I guess, open to direct action uh, being a thing to try to affect change. But I guess if you're going to be doing that sort of thing, maybe have a plan for managing the, I guess, the uh, the, the discussion post-event so that you're not sort of just like, oh, that's a thing that happened. Well, I think and then everyone moves on. You run into a big problem with that, and I should say this, because like we have a thing here recently. An owl got vandalized out of a zoo and is now living in Central Park. And mm-hmm. people are saying that they want the owl to stay because it should be free and all this bull. But like direct action is one thing, and sometimes you can have that for what you're doing. But if you're dealing with animals don't like you go you save all the animals or whatever you grab all of the things and you go yay let go be free and then they all fucking starve to death in or they're (laughs) an invasive species or something else like it's not good don't do that like don't let the animals loose don't think that you can take care of animals taking care of animals is difficult and any of these things that aren't zoos that people keep trying to go like we'll rescue lab animals and take them to a whatever sanctuary it's like those places are awful those places are run by idiots who don't know what they're doing 
Now, there are a few out there that are well run, but they're more the exception than the rule by far. Because, uh, you know, there's, I guess there's more Joe Exotics out there than people that know what they're doing. Yeah, and well, these places don't have to know what they're doing, which is the entire problem. Mm -hmm. A zoo has to be accredited yeah. and inspected and does actual science and conservation. Yes. Well, uh, Bob, you know, Bob Joe's, uh, you know, uh, tiger sanctuary is, you know, just some guy yeah they're just horribly mistreating animals because it has the word sanctuary in the title everyone goes like oh my god that must be so much better <laughs> and stop that let's stop that yeah so so you know i guess the uh you know the the i guess the double disappointing thing for uh for for me then uh, in this particular sort of incident is the you know the fate of the animals and that the conversation didn't really go anywhere useful in terms of people actually like considering any of the positions involved well it's not going to because, animal activism yeah. at the minute has been <laughs> taken over by bad faith actors mm -hmm. who are there's there's so many of these organizations that are basically against the thing that they claim to be for in order to just make money and gain power and this is definitely yep. one of the things that mm -hmm. is uh that is doing that so animal activism um, vegans like the vegan propaganda all that stuff is is just the front end of a money-making power gaining organization that uh, isn't going to do what you think it's going to do and if you care about this stuff at all that's just poisoning the discussion you can't have this discussion right now at all because mm -hmm. places like that are grifters. getting in the way mm-hmm like we if we're going to be doing it it has to be our way and it has to be our way so that we can make a buck off of it mm -hmm. i mean uh so that you can donate to our charity yes that's totally what we're doing charity yeah okay it's a very big issue yes <laughs> so i guess uh you know in terms of uh you know these sorts of groups for our listeners is um uh, be mindful and watch out for someone trying to make a buck off of your activism because there's plenty out there that are trying to uh, do exactly that. And, you know, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, in one of those areas that it's like, oh, uh, if you're going to uh, try to seek, you know, uh, help in actually, you know, uh, you know, getting back to someone who basically screwed you over and is hurting the cause. Well, now you have to, like, talk to some sort of authority figure. And, well, you, they've already sort of instilled in you that you can't trust any of them. So... You know, there's no one you can go to, and that kind of sucks, you know? It's like, you know, and so I guess maybe instead of, uh, you know, if you're, you know, unwilling or uninterested in uh, talking to a, a, a authority in the, you know, that's uh, sort of official, uh, maybe we should, like, start organizing, you know, folks that are sort of unofficial authorities to sort of, you know, draw big circles about, you know, around those that are, uh, you know, basically in it for themselves as opposed to the cause and uh it's like yeah we're gonna like actually bring some accountability to you folks so you're not like ruining everything and trying to make a better world uh impossible because you're so selfish so where silence says lease <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we've got that's the discussion that people would want to have about that they're, they're not doing it but you know mm-hmm uh, I, I guess I do uh, keep an eye out for folks, you know, in the grander world that are trying to uh, make noise when there's uh, folks that are using activism as ways to 
gain power or control people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I would recommend you know you know everyone sort of you know uh, look for folks that are sort of you know knowledgeable about that sort of uh, you know keeping a lookout and learn from them and how to do it yourself, and so you can sort of avoid falling into the various traps that have been sort of put together by uh, less than scrupulous people. Anyway, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what that's more discussion than I thought we were going to get out of this thing. <laughs> well, we got meandering, so, you yeah, know, we I have that. Okay. <laughs> all right. So if that's what we got on silence and leases and etc., then it's probably time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we got some sort of uh, prize liberation organization going on here to try to, uh, you know, uh, rack up some extra points here, but uh, our various contestants, I think, are going to beat them out. So let's see what we got here first. The first is Sufficiently Advanced Aliens, which goes to Nagilam for being able to conjure up starships with baffling geometries within a micro-closed space-time manifold and all that sort of stuff. What does Nagilam win, Gepwin? Nagilam wins a cosmic display shelf. It's, he can make all the cool ships, and he can just just put them there. Just collect stuff and observe. You don't have to touch it. Just make models. It's fun. Indeed. You, know, you want yourself a uh, Romulan warbird? There you go. You just you know, put it on a shelf, get a it. If you want, you know, you're so powerful. If you want, like, to explode one, you just duplicate the one you already have, and then, you know, take the, you know, Yamato you also created and just have it shoot at it, you know? Yeah. You can do that. You know, have fun. Our second prize is the Tudaya's Logical Prize, which goes to Picard, because screw putting up with, you know, infinite curiosity of an Uber being or internet troll or whatever. He wants out of this crazy thing. What does Picard win, Gepwin? Picard wins a more fancy self-destruct button because like the voice thing's cool but like remember when people used to hit like a big red button indeed <laughs> maybe some sort of uh i don't know big crank or lever or uh you know maybe a, a lever that opens up a, a control panel that has a big red button on it yeah you could have a button that opens up a lever like one of those little th covered ones you know the don't push this button that has the plastic thingy over it you have to move mm -hmm. and then that opens a wall panel with a lever and then that opens a secret wall panel with two keys and, and you know uh, you know Riker has to you know pull out his key but he lost <laughs> it you know in a poker game or something like that so it becomes a whole thing it could be hilarious <laughs> yeah like okay who 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 got the pot that week <laughs> Speak up. <laughs> so, uh, uh, moving on before we get too lost in the gambling, uh, our third prize is the Wharf Effect Prize, which goes to Haskell for, well, demonstrating this situation serious, but because he's not a main character uh, or cast member, he actually does die as a result. What does he win, Gapwin? Uh, Haskell wins whatever this version of a funeral would be, because you know how you have like full military honor funerals. I feel like they need to have a Star Trek red shirt funeral, which is kind of like that, but they have to do it in bulk. <laughs> so instead of the... Uh... You know, emptied photon torpedo tube, uh, you know, uh, shooting out the, uh, the front of the ship. 
they uh, have basically a big box container th- uh, that they just sort of shove out a cargo bay instead. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, 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 maybe that's something that uh, they should uh, pull out and uh, maybe Strange New Worlds or Discovery at some point. Anyway, our final prize is the Klingon Hot Prize, which goes to Worf for being nearly turned on by beating up a bunch of dudes on the holodeck, uh, you know, because you know, he got a little eager there at the end. Uh, what does he win, Kaplan? He wins what I really hope these things have, the holodeck door lock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really unclear whether these things lock, and they really should for your hot workout stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still appreciate that one joke on uh, Lower Decks about uh, clean, cleaning the holodeck filter. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got here today, Gepwin. Uh, feel free to take us away and, uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll uh, no longer be lost in the void forever. It's cold here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us all in this giant void with no point of reference. And no way to know what's happening mm-hmm. in the outside world. It's like the start of the pandemic all over again I'm, I'm scared oh no yeah but right now we just are ending up the thing we call the galaxy's favorite game Woo! show good that you decided to uh go with the uh the cage uh bit at the start of the episode and uh i decided to go with something else instead but i was thinking sort of the same thing actually <laughs> well i make those up after i hear yours all right. So. <laughs> all right next time we've got one of the more iconic episodes mm-hmm. and something that sets up like a whole character thing and another and like a main villain who's gonna show up like he was in the trailer for Picard season three. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be have gotten to that episode by the time this releases. I don't know how far through, but oh my god, it's it's dude. It's a reference. We see it. We see a reference. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's like the guy with the with the hair and the uh, the, the the tie and stuff. And there might yeah there might be, the hat. Yeah, might be hats involved. <laughs> yeah, the the weird sexy Moriarty. Mm-hmm. For some reason. Anyway, yeah. So next time we have elementary my dude data which is one of the big, like, Sherlock Holmes episodes. Indeed. So, uh, and of course, everyone remembers it because it's a really cool Sherlock Holmes episode with Data. Yes. <laughs> and uh, if I recall, uh, there was, uh, you know, after that one, uh, they were like, hmm, well, the uh, Doyle estate is uh, a little uh, peeved that we did a Sherlock Holmes episode and we didn't talk to them beforehand. So uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we need to back off on this for a little while, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode that introduces Moriarty as a you know recurring villain character etc mm-hmm. thing um sure I, I I mean he's kind of hot Moriarty if you actually read the books Moriarty is a not a good looking person which I guess uh is uh something I kind of appreciated about the uh, uh the more recent uh oh, oh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes movies that Moriarty's just kind of like this guy. It's like he's not yeah, just like the dude. Got a beard. I got. I'm take, taking some notes here. You know what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only one that got it even kind of right was uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, hmm. the comic, not the movie. <laughs>
Yeah, <laughs> there's a little a little bit difference between the uh, the comic and the the movie because you know it's the movie and the comic, which is expansive and has a bunch of issues and goes off in weird places. <laughs> yeah, the first book's pretty good. The second one's pretty good. After that, I didn't read them, but I hear that they're interesting. <laughs> I I have uh, I've heard uh, some discussion about it, and uh, apparently Mary Poppins is the Almighty. That would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Anyway, next week is not League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Never watched. Don't want to watch. Have to watch that again. Oh my god! It's uh, League of Extraordinary Data. Yeah, <laughs> League of Extraordinary Datas. And maybe by next week, when we record the, I don't know how far through Picard they're going to have to get for us to see Moriarty show up again. But maybe we'll have something to say there. I have no idea. Uh, what we're what we're recording it's still early in the season of uh, Picard season three so um, yeah they've only had one or two episodes so far <laughs> but for you the listener you know we might have been you know it's probably over by yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> maybe they've decided to have a fourth season and we're already halfway through that I don't know <laughs> yeah and production schedules all out of whack yes. but anyway <laughs> next time Sherlock Holmes shenanigans Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, an episode that could defeat even Data. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come if you enjoy our podcast make sure to subscribe for more and where possible make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review you may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash and twitter at Gepwin. you may find me dr isix on youtube.com slash dr and twitter at isixlp Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>